You are listening to the Sola Podcast, presented by One Church Senior Pastor Demetrius McClendon and Young Adult Pastor Troy Stewart. All right, welcome everybody. I want to thank you for joining us once again, whether you're here in person or listening via the podcast. Uh, we have been working our way through the study of soteriology, which is, once again, a Greek word comprised of two words. First, it is soter, which means savior or deliverer, and logos, which is word, reason, or explanation. In short, it's the study of the biblical doctrine of salvation. The first week, we went over uh, the process of salvation known as justification. The second week, we went over the process of salvation known as sanctification, And the third week, we looked at the process of salvation known as glorification. We've seen that with the work of justification, salvation is a one-time act that assures salvation for eternity, that it is by the grace through faith in Christ, and it is God alone who brings this to pass. He alone is the one who saves. We had nothing to do with it other than saying yes, so we have nothing to do with losing it. And at the very moment of our being justified, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We also saw that through the work of sanctification, that we are not only declared righteous, but also are empowered to leave our life of sin by the Holy Spirit and live out our salvation day by day, once again, by the Holy Spirit. That we walk out our salvation with fear and trembling, not because we are fearful of losing it, but because we honor it. And we treat it as as something very precious. As I spoke about carrying like fine china, something that you don't want to drop, something that you are just so grateful of having it. So we walk it out with extreme respect. We saw that through justification, that we are not only declared righteous and empowered to live our salvation day by day, but we're also being made like Jesus day by day. That through our justification and our being sanctified, God begins to restore in us the image of himself by making us more and more like Jesus. That while we walk this earth, we may never fully be like Jesus, but upon entering the next life, we shall be fully glorified and made one with Jesus for eternity. There will be no more sin, no more death, no more separation from God. Once again, as I said last week in the the glorification message that it is not that we are becoming God, but we are being made like him, as Genesis said. We are just being restored into that process. We've also been looking at the story of salvation uh, being emulated through the Jewish marriage, uh, how, how that functions. We saw that our justification is modeled through the Jewish idea of betrothal, that it is a legal binding contract, that only the man can divorce and so on. Uh, that we saw that uh, our sanctification is modeled through the courtship of the bride and the groom's family, getting to know how the the groom functions through his family, and then the mother-in-law teaching her and showing her how it is that he would want things done in his house, Um, that our glorification is modeled through the wedding night and the consummation of the marriage between the bride and groom. We've also been studying the Greek words of love, that are there, the four, which is agape, phileo, eros, and storge. We've seen that the word agape, which is the self-sacrificing love, is how to understand our justification, 
that the word phileo, which is the love shared between best friends and soulmates, is how we're to understand our sanctification, that the word eros, which is the romantic or intimate love is uh, between lovers, is how we're to understand our justification, which that now brings us to tonight, the summation of our salvation series. We're going to talk about the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now, I know what some of you are thinking already, as soon as I said that statement, that I'm going to talk about speaking in tongues, and that tongues is the sign of the Holy Spirit, and you're already checking out, you're ready to leave, turn this podcast off, whatever. Listen, I am not going to talk about it being the sign of the Holy Spirit. You're partly wrong there. I will talk about tongues. We're going to talk about a whole bunch of stuff. But I will not, because I do not believe that tongues is the sign of the Holy Spirit. I think it is a sign of the Holy Spirit, but we'll get into that later on. So I just want to encourage you, and I please, don't leave. Don't turn this podcast off. If you have qualms about this, maybe this will help settle some of these things through the study. Uh, just, just hang tight with us. If you have questions and concerns about this after the sermon, please let me know about this. Because once again, as a pastor here of One Church, we want to work through this with you guys. We want to be able to have open communication with you to study through the scriptures. And if you're listening to this via the podcast, uh, feel free to check our website out so as to get in contact with us. Or simply go to a church near you and talk to a pastor there. Plug in, get involved. Whatever happens, join a church, whether it's one church here in Midlothian or it's a church that you're at. But just hang with us and let us go through this study because this is kind of a hot topic in the church. So I want to begin by addressing a few things right off the bat. Okay, I'm not going to explain the Holy Spirit to you in regards to how he functions and his being in the Trinity. That's not what this is for. I'm not going to explain the gifts of the Holy Spirit in length. We'll mention them, but I'm not going to explain them. Not what this is for. I'm not going to talk about the ministers and people who are well known for having quote-unquote spiritual displays. Not going to mention that. It's not what this venue is for. But I am going to simply try to bring to light the activity of the Holy Spirit in the believer according to the scriptures. Before I can really talk about the activity of the Holy Spirit in the believer... I need to look at the activity of the Holy Spirit overall. Remember when we looked at the glorification of us last week, we had to look at the, what it is to have glory, to be glorified, and the, glor, the, the, the glory of God himself. So let's look at a few of these things. First off, it's important for us to recognize that the Holy Spirit is a person. Now, that may sound weird because growing up, we, we thought, at least I did in my church, that it, the Holy Spirit was an it, there was God the Father, there was God the Son, and then this weird Holy Spirit. Sometimes we call him the Holy Ghost, which made me even more nervous because I used to be told ghost stories and watch horror movies. And I had this really weird idea about the Holy Spirit. But it's important that we know that he's a, he is a person. The Trinity says that they are made up by three persons being one God. Okay, very important there. Uh, so in the biblical understanding of this, because this does not mean that he has a body, that he is literally like someone that you can look at and see, we know that obviously he is a spirit. But the scriptures say that a person is a substance that can do personal and relational things, such as speaking, thinking, feeling, acting, and so on. Something that does these personal things in relationship is classified as a person. So this is how we are looking at the Holy Spirit as being a person. 
Now, I say that because some people have problems with when you pray, you know, do you say Heavenly Father? Or do you start with Jesus? Or do you start with Holy Spirit? Well, first and foremost, we're talking to God. That's the most important thing, that when I say Holy Spirit, I recognize that I'm talking to God. Now, they have different functions. They have different, um, different ways that they, they operate because they're three individual persons making up one God. But I don't think that God is so much worried about you saying, well, you didn't start with Father, and you didn't even say Hallowed be thy name, whatever that even means. You didn't say it. So I can't listen to your prayer. You know, well, he just didn't do it right. No, I think God delights in the fact that we try to communicate with him. Whether we start with Father, whether you say Daddy or Papa or whatever, if you're saying Jesus, if you're saying Holy Spirit, just be respectful when you pray. So I just wanted to mention that, but he is a person, according to the Scriptures. Here's some Scriptures here. I'm not going to read the actual Scripture. I'll give you where they're found, because there are a lot of them. Uh, let's see here. The Spirit teaches and reminds. You can see this in John chapter 14, verse 26. Also in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 13. We see that the Spirit speaks. You can find this in Acts chapter 8. Verses 29, verse 29, in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, the Spirit can be grieved. We see this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30. The Spirit can be outraged. Hebrews chapter 10, 29. The Spirit can be lied to. Acts chapter 5, verses 3 through 4. The Spirit can forbid or prevent human speech and plans. Acts chapter 16, 6 through 7. The Spirit searches everything and comprehends God's thoughts. 1 Corinthians 2, 10 through 11. The Spirit apportions gifts. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 11. The Spirit helps us, intercedes for us, and has a mind. Romans 8, 26 through 27. The Spirit bears witness to believers in their adoption. Romans 8, Verse 16, the Spirit bears witness to Christ. John 15, 26, the Spirit glorifies Christ, takes what is Christ's, and declares it to the believers. John 16, 14. Second thing is that he brings order and understanding, not chaos and confusion. And I make mention of this because there's some people who would have a a service, and then the Holy Spirit is said to break out, okay? And some of you may have been in a service like this. Worship is happening, maybe the word's being declared, and then someone says that they're being filled with the Holy Spirit, and they begin to shout and run around and, and cause a scene. Well, there's times that this has happened that I've been a part of, and I've seen that, and it did not distract from the message or from the worship. That, I would say, is most likely a demonstration of the Holy Spirit. It was not drawing attention to itself, it was just an outburst of joy, something being expressed. There have been times, however, where this has happened and it's drawing attention to the person. It's taking attention away from the gospel, away from worshiping Jesus. That is where I would say chaos has come in and confusion. That God is always about truth. He never confuses. He never lies. He never even gives half-truths. And we know that Satan is called the father of all lies. That Satan is the one that brings confusion and division into the church. So the Holy Spirit does the exact opposite. He brings order. He brings understanding. 
But look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 2. It says, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. Now, in the Hebrew here, what it talks about, without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. These words, without form, void, darkness, are talking about having a chaotic existence. There's nothing known to them. Then it says the Spirit of God, which some translators say the breath, because it's the, um, the word there is the same word for breath, spirit, and wind. Uh, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now, this word hovering is the same word that is used uh, to understand a bird roosting on her nest, warming her eggs as she's fanning them with her wings, hovering over them, warming them, waiting for them to mature. It's the idea that we have of God hovering there over the face of the waters. This is, uh, the Hebrews would understand that God is bringing order to that chaos, that he is bringing control and setting it right. So we see that, that he brings order to creation. We see that he gives understanding and wisdom. In Job uh, chapter 32, verse 8, um, again, these are just, I'm going to list these out for you to look up on your own time because there's a few of them. In John chapter 14, verse 26, in John chapter 16, verses 12 through 15, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, 2, verses 9 through 13. It speaks over and over again how the Holy Spirit comes. He will make known all things. He will give you all understanding. He will tell you all that I have spoken. All this type of language is being used through this. So the Holy Spirit gives us wisdom and understanding. Uh, the third point is that the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus as Savior. In John 4, verses 16 through 26, is the story of the woman at the well. Jesus is talking with her. He finally says, go and call your husband. She says, I have no husband. I've been with several men, and the one that I'm with now is not my husband. Jesus says, you're right to say that. Uh, or no, sorry, she doesn't say how many men she's been with. She says, I don't have a husband. He says, you're right, because you've been with, I believe it's five men, and the man that you're with now is not your husband. And she says, well, you must be a prophet. So then she begins to discuss worship. So Jesus displays a work of the Holy Spirit through prophecy. He then says that the, she talks about the temple and worship. He says the time has come when you must worship him in spirit and in truth. He mentions the Holy Spirit, and she immediately says, I know that will happen when Messiah has come. So what we see here is a demonstration of Holy Spirit. Then the Holy Spirit talked about being presented forward. And what happens? Messiah is mentioned. So we know that at all times where the Holy Spirit is doing something, it's pointing back to Jesus. And Jesus, remember, is pointing back to the Father. They are wrapped up in this ever-ending, ever-ending, no, never-ending cycle of love, this never-ending cycle of glorifying each other, this never-ending cycle of explaining each other and presenting each other. I mean, it's just the wildest thing in all existence how they do this. So the Holy Spirit always points to Jesus as a Savior. Number four, the Holy Spirit is the one who convicts people. This is John 16, verse 8. This says that the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin, convict you of righteousness, and of judgment. Now, I'm saying this because there's people within the church today that think it is our job to judge people, to convict them, right? To come by and say, well, you're a sinner. Whoa, 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 whoa. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict of sin. 
Okay, now I can point out to you and say that what you're doing is not a right path. That path will inevitably lead you to hell. But I cannot be the one to come down and convict you. I cannot say that you are 100% going to hell. That's not my job. That's God's job. I can simply show you what the scriptures say and how you are living and whether or not they match up to that. So I'm saying this because if we would just let the Holy Spirit do his job in us and in others, we as a church overall would be a lot healthier in this earth. People wouldn't be so wrapped up in us yelling and screaming, and we wouldn't be so busy by boycotting and, and just wasting our time hating people. Instead, we could love them and say, this is what righteousness looks like. Because I guarantee you, if, if you showed people more the Holy Spirit in your life through the righteousness that he gives you, and showing them the, the, the judgment because the ruler of this world has been judged, that Christ is victorious, that Christ is at work, that the Holy Spirit has empowered you to share that, They'd be convicted of their sin on their own through the Holy Spirit. And then you can present to them the gospel. That if you show them the better way. We also see that it says convicted of righteousness. That as a Christian, I know in my own life, and I'm sure this can be in your life as well, there's times where you do something and you think, man, that wasn't really what was supposed to happen. You know, it's not necessarily a sin. It just wasn't exactly the right thing to do, you know, or, or think about it this way, okay, you see, uh, here's the old example, you're at the, cro- you're at the sidewalk, this old lady's going to cross, and you're like, I should help her, right, that's not a wicked thing to do, it's a good thing, you're being convicted towards a good act, so this is the Holy Spirit prodding you, saying, you should do this, this is what righteousness looks like, because to our own hearts, according to the scripture, it's wicked and deceitful, so the Holy Spirit is teaching us, convicting us of our righteousness. As well as when we get down and think, am I even saved? Am I even righteous? The Holy Spirit comes back and says, yes, I'm convicting you of this righteousness. Now move forward and go. And then of the judgment of, this, of the rule of this world, because he has been judged. For us to know that Christ is victorious. So we don't give up in doing good because he's already been judged. So when Satan comes against us, I used to have a youth pastor all the time that said, when Satan reminds you of your past, remind him of, of his future. Because he's already judged. So when he comes against me, man, you're just making a mistake. A, a buddy of mine, we sat down together and we started listing things out that have come against us since we got saved. And we called it the, the, the Armageddon list, right? And we just have things. And so now we'll just speak it out, out loud and be like, you'll pay for that at the end. And I believe fully that when Jesus comes back, he's going to ask me, who is it that tried to stop you? Who is it that came against you? Who is it that tempted you? And I'll look at them and say, it's, it was him, and it was him, and it was him. Speaking spiritually, obviously, not just people. And I will watch my Jesus, his wrath pour out onto these, to the demonic, onto the things that kept me from him. So I make this list because he's already been judged, and I know that Christ is victorious. It's the, the thing that the Holy Spirit convicts us of. Fifth, he empowers the believers to preach the gospel. This is Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And Jesus says, wait until powers come from on high. He was through the Holy Spirit and, and has this whole process begin there. But it's so that way you can go and bear witness into all the world, is what it says. It doesn't just say, wait until the Holy Spirit has come and power comes. Wait for it. Well, f- for what? 
power, man. Just wait for power. That's, but this is how a lot of people present this idea. Wait for power from on high. Well, what's the rest of the statement? So that you may bear witness in all the world. So we see that the Holy Spirit empowers us for the reason of evangelizing the gospel. So the kingdom of God can advance and be victorious. Now, I'd say we laid a pretty good foundation here about the Holy Spirit. If you want to listen to a very good in-depth study of the Trinity, especially the Holy Spirit, and and learn what he does and the functions, uh, I suggest that you look up Pastor Robert Morris. He's from Gateway Church in South South Lake, Texas. He has a series called My Best Friend. And this is a, a many weeks he spends on this. He spends, I think, six weeks on the Holy Spirit. So it's my best friend, the Holy Spirit, my best friend, the Son, my best friend, the Father. This is probably the greatest teaching I've ever heard on the Trinity. I encourage you to listen to it. It it takes a few weeks, but it is so enlightening, so encouraging. You'll walk away from this with a whole new idea of God and his his love and a better understanding to be able to, to explain to people and just to understand God himself. So please go look that up. Uh, now, as I stated through all this, uh, this series every week, at the moment of salvation, the very moment of salvation, the person is filled with the Holy Spirit. This is how the, the person is regenerated. Okay? This is how you can be sanctified. This is how you can be glorified. It's because you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to make that clear. Every person who has accepted the free gift of salvation is filled with the Holy Spirit. I say this because there's a misunderstanding within the church body of this, of this statement called spirit-filled. I'm sure if you spend any amount of time around Christians and you say something about spirit-filled, you'll either hear groans or you'll hear people like, yeah, me too. And it, it separates us. That's why I'm saying every believer from the moment of justification is filled with the Holy Spirit. I think we just use horrible language to describe something we're about to look at here. And it, it almost becomes a prideful thing. Well, I'm full of the Holy Spirit. And you're also full of yourself. So we are all filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment of salvation. Otherwise, you didn't get saved. You need to go try again. Plain and simple. Either God is good on his promise or he's not. And trust me, God has never lied before. He's not going to lie ever So you're filled with the Holy Spirit if you've accepted salvation. Now, these people will talk about being spirit-filled as if to me they have open displays of the Holy Spirit's power. Okay? So when you hear the well, when you hear it, when you hear the idea of being spirit-filled, that's usually where you where you see people laying hands on people and they get slain and and, you know, the, the people are speaking in tongues. And in fact, speaking in tongues is what they would say the sign of the Holy Spirit most of the time. But they'd say, well, the only evidence to be had that you have the Holy Spirit is to, is to speak in tongues. And that's why I'm making such a big deal here. Because all believers are filled with the Holy Spirit at the moment of salvation. Okay? But there is a difference between being filled with the Holy Spirit and being baptized with the Holy Spirit. That's what we're going to look at, Okay? It's important to realize that the, the difference, I mean, it's, it's so key. It drives such a division between, between us as believers that, man, unity is so hard to have sometimes. People would say, well, you're one of those weird spirit-filled people. Well, so are you. You're saved. 
<laughs> As my dad would say, I just yabba dabba do. You know, I speak some weird, it's like spiritual bebop. You know, I'm, I'm out there just scatting and, and, and going strange. Maybe it's not your flavor, but it's something that it happens with. But I'm baptized by the Holy Spirit. I'm, you're filled just the same as I am. That the, and some people even, this is, this is even weirder, okay? We all believe that justification is like this one-time deal, all right? Whether you believe you can lose your salvation or not, we all believe that justification happens once, all right? So we have that settled. But then you see, as we've been studying throughout the series, that there's even divisions in that. Now, you would think, surely there's only two divisions, spirit-filled, not spirit-filled, we're done, ready to go. No, even there's people that say you could be spirit-filled, as in baptized by the Holy Spirit, once and then you're done, and you don't need to be baptized again, and you just have all the signs and wonders. It's all good, okay? Then there's people, like myself, who would say that there's a continual baptism of the Holy Spirit being had. Because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit once and for all at salvation, empowered to share the gospel, yet I can be baptized over and over and over and over again. Let's look at this. Mark chapter 6, verses 7 through 13. This is where the disciples are filled. They're commissioned by Jesus to go out and cast out demons and heal the sick. Okay, And they're filled with the Holy Spirit to have authority of demons and to heal. Okay, The, the word there is actually not filled, it's baptized. I used the wrong word, I apologize. John 20, 22, Jesus breathes his spirit on the disciples and they receive him. Another form of having the baptism. Uh, Acts 2, 4, the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. It says that the tongues of fire come upon them. They receive it. Other translations will use the word baptism. So this is why there's confusion in the church to say spirit-filled, meaning you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. So anytime that I'm saying filled with in this context right now, I mean baptized. It's just the language problem in between. Acts 2, 4, the, the disciples are filled with the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Uh, Acts 4, 8, Peter is filled with the Spirit to address the courts. Acts 4, 31, Peter is in prayer meeting with the believers, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. It's crazy. So, and Peter, it's not like all of a sudden Peter begins to be filled in Acts 4. Peter was with them in Mark 6, the very beginning. So let's look at it this way. Peter got filled once in Mark 6. Again in John 20, again in Acts 2, again in Acts 4, and, and then again in Acts 4. This is five times at least. He's been filled with the Holy Spirit. Did he lose it? He was filled. Where did he go? Did he pour it out on something? I mean, this is this, does he have holes? Is it not retaining it? Is he like a sponge? What's going on? How can you be filled with something that you already are filled with? So this is what we believe, that the baptism... Is a separate occasion than being filled with the Holy Spirit upon salvation. Again, being filled with the Holy Spirit upon salvation is the empowerment to live out your salvation, the empowerment to be sanctified, the empowerment to be glorified. Okay, now there's a different work here with the baptism. I know I've already said this, but I'm trying to bring this point home. I believe it to be something like this. At salvation, the believer is filled with the Holy Spirit as if they were to drink water. Okay? The water goes into you, into your stomach. It quenches your thirst. You're filled. Now, we're just assuming that this water never leaves. It doesn't absorb. It doesn't process. It just stays forever. You are never thirsty again. This is what Jesus was telling the woman at the well. Of those who drink from my 
water shall never thirst again. I'll be satisfied, filled with the Holy Spirit forever. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit is it's kind of like taking a shower. Okay? Some people should shower multiple times a day. I'll let you decide who those people are. Some people are good with just showering once a day. Nobody is good with showering once a week. Nobody. And this is how I believe the Holy Spirit to be. That it's like being baptized, washed again. I'm full. I'm full. But just because I drink water, does it mean that I don't need to shower? I don't need to be cleansed and washed off? That's ridiculous. Of course I still need to be bathed. Of course I still need to be washed over. And this is how we think of the Holy Spirit. In these moments that we, we receive this, it's capable of everyone to receive. Okay? Just as soon as you drink that water, you can be in the shower. As soon as you've been infilled, you can be baptized. But the infilling has to come. You have to be saved first. Everybody is capable of this. And this is key. I want you to catch this. Some just choose not to be. This is where the problem becomes. Because somebody would say, well, you're just telling me that I don't have it because I didn't ask for it? Yes. That's what the scripture tells you. Look, the Holy Spirit, he's a gentleman. He'll only come as far as you let him. He'll only come as far as you let him. That's why we look at justification. You're perfectly justified before God. But man, if you don't walk your sanctification out day by day, he doesn't come by and say, um, this is day three of sanctification. We're going to wake up and be sanctified. He'll remind you, he'll, he'll convict you of your righteousness, but he'll let you walk. He'll let you go back into sin. Trust me, I'm nine years into my sanctification and I still sin. I still miss it. Because he's a gentleman. It grieves him. It hurts him. But then he empowers me to repent and move on. But I'm justified. The same way as glorification. I can remain right where I am and not move from glory to glory to glory because I choose to withhold from that. The Holy Spirit's not going to force me into it and say, well, you, know, you need to have this and you're going you're to get it whether you like it or not. No, 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 no. He's patient. He's kind. He will let you stay. He'll nudge you forward over and over again. If you don't feel like progressing, that's your own deal. Will you make it to heaven? I believe so. But I believe that you'll make it there, I mean, with what to lay at Jesus' feet. We're told that our, that our actions and our good deeds gives us jewels and, and gems and crowns to lay before the Lord of Lords, the one who justified you. And if you're really justified, understand that. I don't see how you could do anything other than all you could to gain all you can to lay before him. As we talked about a couple weeks ago, to have the biggest piece of that humble pie, to outserve everybody because you've been served like crazy, to outlove everybody because you've been loved ridiculously, that when you really receive this stuff, it, it's, it's hard, it's challenging to say that I'm going to go do anything else. And as a real believer, if you walk into that life of sin, I don't believe you're going to be satisfied. I don't believe you can stay there. And I, I don't believe you're really going to enjoy it, not for long. Not for long, at least. So why don't you have the baptism of the Holy Spirit? You haven't asked for it. There's, I'm going to look this scripture up while I'm talking, but there is a, um, 
the understanding there that the Holy Spirit, he's the, he's the gentleman. He'll give to you what you ask for, and he won't force it upon you. That the, the believer at any point can be baptized by the Holy Spirit. That's where we left off. It's like taking that shower. It's like stepping in and saying, cleanse me here. But this is not to say that it's just something that the, the believer decides to do. Okay, That's important to realize as well. That you may not have the Holy Spirit's baptism because you haven't asked for it, but that does not mean that you get to say, right now I'm doing this. Right now I'm receiving this. It means that you ask for it. And the Holy Spirit will give it to you. But let me, let me present it to you this way. When I first started believing in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, years and years and years back, I wasn't exactly sure of it. So my prayer first became, God, make me okay with this. Whatever it looks like, make me okay with it. And it began to work more and more and more. I became more and more aware, more and more okay with what was happening. Then I said, God, I want to have this moment with you, with your Holy Spirit. I prayed for two years. Jesus, baptize me in your Holy Spirit. Jesus, baptize me in your Holy Spirit for two years. Two years until something finally happened. And then it happened one night and at the back of a metal show and while this band is playing that's, that's horribly against God. And there was this Christian metal band that was playing that we're out back. They're loading up the gear. And all of a sudden, this moment happens. It's very much like the day of Pentecost. Wind is blowing around everywhere. Crazy stuff is happening. People are laying on their faces wild, baptized in the Holy Spirit. I'm saying that because some of you might be saying, well, well, Pastor Troy, you don't get it. I've asked. Well, don't stop asking. In Matthew 7, it says to ask, seek, knock. And that's to ask and keep asking, to seek and keep seeking, to knock and keep knocking. Because those who ask, it shall be given to them. Those who seek, they shall find. And those who knock, shall be opened to them. You have to keep going. In another gospel, Jesus says that it's like a, a widow who goes before an unrighteous judge and says, I've been done wrongly against. And the judge is like, why would I care? But she, it says she keeps nagging him until this unrighteous judge finally says, okay, and gives this woman her due judgment. He acts on her behalf. And then Jesus says, if this unrighteous judge will do this, how much better is your father in heaven who is righteous? So the idea painted is, if you don't have it yet, keep asking. I don't believe you can annoy God, but you should try to annoy God. I'm serious. Think about the little kid that you see in Walmart where they're like, Mommy, I have to have this. She's like, no. She's, they're like, I have to have this. And you're like, oh, man, this kid's about to throw a fit. You know, you're like, I'll, just, I'll, pay, I'll, I'll pay for it. Just, just shut the kid up. right? And she's like, no, we don't have money. What do they do? Do they go... Well, I understand, Mother, and they put it back. No! They hit the floor, and they're kicking and screaming and bashing their head. I've got to have this! I've got to have it! I've got to have it! And the mom's just about to have this conniption, just snaps, and she's like, fine! Put it in the basket! Oh, you know, and just loses it. And I think that's how Jesus wants us to pray sometimes. They're with her going, God, heal my mom. Amen. And he's like, I really want to heal your mom, and I'm, I'm, I really want to, but how bad do you want it? How bad do you want that blessing? You know, well, it didn't happen the first time. I guess that I'm just, I'm done. Jesus didn't want to do it. It wasn't his will. Man, that's, that's nonsense. Because let me, let me tell you this. 
In the kingdom of heaven, there's no sickness, there's no death, there's no crying, there's no weeping, there's, there's nothing, there's joy, there's love, there's happiness, there's none of this negative things. That is the perfect will of God. Jesus taught us to pray a prayer that said, let your will be on earth as it is in heaven. So how can you say that it's not the will of God for someone to be healed? That's nonsense. It doesn't make sense to me to have that. It just, it's about us asking. It's about us enduring into this process to have it. So you don't have the manifestation. I'm sorry, it's offensive. Because you haven't asked for it. You haven't desired it like a precious jewel. You haven't, you haven't chased after it like your life depends on it. Now, are you saved if you've been justified for the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Are you going to heaven? Absolutely. Does being baptized by the Holy Spirit bring you to like level two of Christianity? No. This isn't about being better than anybody. This isn't something to have pride in. It's just a different type of relationship to have. The same way that living out your sanctification, will you be saved if you don't do it? I Man, I can't judge your heart, so I'd say that maybe you're justified, sure. But your salvation wasn't as sweet as mine because I lived my sanctification. Because I had a process in this. Because I chose to deny myself and chase after Jesus. The same way with being baptized by the Holy Spirit, there's something sweet to be had. Something sweet to be had. Matthew eleven eleven. This is where it, it, sorry, Luke eleven eleven. This is where Jesus is talking about if you being wicked fathers would, would give your son a if, if you ask for a fish, you wouldn't give him a snake. If you ask for a loaf of bread, you wouldn't give them a stone. If you being wicked fathers would do this, he says, how much better is your perfect father in heaven? Then he says a key thing here, that if you were to ask for it, he would give you the Holy Spirit. If you ask for it, he would give you the Holy Spirit. This is what we're looking at. Also, when we, when we pray for this, okay, and we desire this, even when it happens, even when this baptism comes upon us, it looks like different things. Sometimes people fall. Sometimes people do break out into speaking in tongues. Sometimes people prophesy. Sometimes you don't even know that it's happened. You just feel something different within you, a new type of love, some type of like burning desire for something going on. To, to pray for people to be healed that you never had before. These types of things happening, that there's some type of switch that happened within you. So it's hard to say what does it look like. It's different for a lot of people. And you don't always speak in tongues, but you can. You don't always prophesy, but you can. You don't always receive interpretation of, of the gifts, but you can. That's the thing is, but you can. We get so offended by these things of, well, I didn't, it didn't look like that. Cool, man. We're all the body. Some people are fingers. Some people are toes. Some are elbows. Some are noses. Some are belly buttons. They're just there because they're fun to play with and they collect stuff. <laughs> but whatever it is, rejoice in the fact that you have been baptized by the Holy Spirit. Don't focus on one gift. That becomes idolization. And I think we've done that horribly within the church to say, well, I want tongues. And if I don't get tongues, 
then I'm not baptized by the Holy Spirit. What if God didn't want you to have tongues right now? What if instead he needed you to prophesy to somebody, but you're so wrapped up with this, I, don't, I want to babble that you're not celebrating the stuff that happens here. Get over yourselves. Ask for it, receive it, and get over yourself. Because this is not about you. This is another one of those processes of salvation that it really, it has nothing. It has a very small amount, but it almost has nothing to do with you other than you receiving it. So we, be, we are open to accepting his manifestation. Otherwise, he doesn't do it, okay? And it says that, you know, people would say that speaking in tongues is the sign of the Holy Spirit. And that's, I said it's nonsense. It's unbiblical, okay? Because the Bible makes it clear what the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is. It's this. It's John chapter 14, verse 18 through 24. I will not leave you as orphans. This is Jesus speaking. I will come to you. Yet a little while and the world will see me no more. But you will see me, because I live, you also will live. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be beloved by my Father. And I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, that means not the one that betrays him, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our homes with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. So this is what Jesus, Jesus is saying. The manifestation, the true sign of the Holy Spirit is this, that we are saved and we are emulating the lifestyle of salvation, that we are justified, that we are being sanctified, and we are being glorified. That, that is the proof of the Holy Spirit. It's not some babbling language. It's not knowing something unknown. It's none of this weirdness. And I'm saying this because we've divided ourselves so much, and it pains me so much to see this, that people, they think even, to say that you're not even saved if you don't pray in tongues. And they're, they're misleading people away from Jesus. When the entire point to this, guys, the entire point to any of this is being with Jesus, is being saved. That's the entire point. If speaking in tongues was what Jesus came here to do, he would have just given it to us. If doing all these weird things was what it was really about, then that's what he would have focused on, not being unified, not bringing us back into relationship with God. Paul would not have called this gospel the gospel of reconciliation. He would have called this the gospel of power and signs and wonders and displays of weird things in the Holy Spirit. But yet we are being called to be reconciled to God. This is what the point of the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is. But there are still signs and wonders. There's still gifts to be had from the Holy Spirit. We're going to look at these. 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, 8 through 11 describes some of these gifts. Ephesians 4, 7 through 13 explains more of these gifts. And Romans 8, 3 through 8 explains more of these gifts. Again, that is 1 Corinthians 12, 8 through 11. Ephesians 4, 7 through 13, and Romans 8, 3 through 8. 
for time, I'm not going to read through those. You can read through those on your own. But I've compiled a list, list of such from these verses. So we could list these gifts as this. There's a gift of wisdom. There's a gift of knowledge. There's a gift of faith, a gift of healing, a gift of miracles, a gift of prophecy, a gift of discerning spirits, a gift of tongues, a gift of interpreting tongues, a gift of administration, and gift of helps. Now, at the very uh, verse 11 in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it says a very key thing, that it is as the Holy Spirit wills, he gives it to the believers. That's important, okay? Because I said earlier, maybe it wasn't for you to speak in tongues at this moment. So if, if you've been filled by the Holy Spirit and then you've been baptized into the Holy Spirit and you're prophesying, don't be fed up with that. Prophesy, man. Paul says that he desires for us to prophesy more than tongues because it edifies everyone. Don't, don't be frustrated with what the Holy Spirit gives you because you're asking for the Holy Spirit. It's the Spirit's gifts. And you need to remember that it's the Spirit's gifts to give as he wills. So he may be sitting there going, I had a buddy of mine, okay? He was praying for power. He meant miracles. He wanted to see trees move and mountains crumble. He wanted to have like these wild, you know, fire from heaven coming down type of things. Well, his family was going through a chaotic time. I mean, horrible. His, his parents were just fighting like crazy. and It was just nonsense. And any time that he would come around them, all of a sudden the fighting stopped. Peace was there. It was just beautiful. Everybody began to love each other again. And, and uh, the Lord spoke to me and told him, uh, told me to tell him that he was praying for power, but he received power in a different way. Because he received power and peace to be over the chaos, to be over the fighting. And my friend still was like, well, that's not what I was wanting. Are you kidding me? What if fire fell from heaven and your family still was in chaos? How is that gospel? How is that love? So sometimes we're receiving the gift without even realizing it because we want it to look a certain way. Now, these gifts are not for us to look good with or to be weird with, okay? It's not for us just to go slapping people and let them experience the Holy Spirit just for the fun of it. You know, if we're just walking down Main Street and we're like, yeah, I received the Holy Spirit and they lay down and we just move away. That's not what it's for, okay? It's not for us to receive a paycheck when we talk about healing or anything else. It's not for us to exploit these things to make us look cool. I'm not up here like some psychic to say, call me and I'll tell you the future. That's not what's going on. I don't get words of wisdom or knowledge or, or prophecy. Or, I don't get healings. I don't get all these things for me to look good. I get them because there is someone who desperately needs to understand that Jesus knows what's happening in their situation. There's someone who needs to know that Jesus heals. There's someone that needs to know that Jesus is the one that, that makes language and interprets all these things, that they always are about Jesus, and they're always because someone needs Jesus. It's important as well to know that these, these gifts, they're not spurred out of necessity, okay? And I hate that because, I, man, I've prayed for thousands and thousands of people to be healed, and there was an evident need for it. Broken legs and jaws and, and blindness and wheelchairs and crutches and all kinds of things. An evident need for healing, and yet healing didn't happen. I wish I knew why. I did. I, I, I will rest that I need to fast and to pray more, that I need to dig into Jesus more. I'll just go ahead and blame myself. I'm not blaming you. I'm not saying if your miracle hasn't happened, that it's on you. I'm just saying I don't get why it hasn't happened, so I'm just going to dig closer to Jesus 
until I'm like him, where every sick person he prayed for is healed, where every demon that he commanded to be cast out is cast out, where every blind eye he, he prays for opening is opened, where every dead person he spoke to lives again. That's what I desire. That's what I pray for. That's what I long for. So every funeral I'm at, I pray for them to get up and walk. I don't care how crazy that would be. Because my, my grandpa just died a couple months ago. I remember sitting there looking into his casket, and I just I said out loud, get up. You live in the name of Jesus. Get up and walk. Get up and tell everybody here that Jesus is Lord. And my prayer was that, God, God wouldn't, that, wouldn't that bring everybody to you? Wouldn't this cause revival in this place? But it didn't happen. Not because God doesn't desire for dead to raise or for, the, for sinners to be brought to salvation, but because he knows the better story. Jesus at one point is, is, is in his hometown. He's trying to perform miracles and wonders, and it says that there's a lack of faith. And he says, because of your lack of faith, I cannot perform these things. And it gets into this understanding, if you truly read the scriptures, that Jesus isn't saying, because you don't have faith, I can't do it. He's saying, even if I did these things, you still wouldn't believe. I'm not going to waste my time here. I'm going to go on. I'm not going to throw my pearls before swine, as Jesus would say. So it's rough. So sometimes it just doesn't happen. Sometimes there's a need, and it just doesn't happen. It's not for us to decide what's going on. Don't build a doctrine around that. Don't say, well, God doesn't heal people in wheelchairs. He only heals them in crutches or anything else. Do not build a doctrine around your experience. That is dangerous. What you build your doctrine around is the Scripture. And the Scripture says that the, the sick will be healed, the dead will be raised, the blind will see, the lame will walk. This is what we build our doctrine around. So when the, the sick aren't healed, guess what we do again? We pray. When the blind don't see, we pray. When the dead aren't raised, we pray. And we don't stop. Because we were promised these things. Sometimes the manifestation of the Holy Spirit, is, 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 he's described... Um, by signs and wonders in the scriptures. Sometimes these are, the, these are the weird things. It can get kind of confusing. You know, as to, well, why? why? You know, uh, think about Ananias and Sapphira. Two people, they lie. They, did, they donated a ton of money to the church, but they lied about a little thing. And, and Peter says, you would lie to the Holy Spirit. The Lord demands your life. And they drop dead. One at different times. One first and then the other. You're like, what? Why? It's a sign and a wonder happening. It's something that, that moves on beyond the gifts, what the Holy Spirit gives. And I want to make something clear here, okay? A sign points to something and explains it. Think about driving down the road. You see a speed limit sign. It says 45 MPH, miles per hour. What does that mean? Well, it means that while you're driving on this road, in normal weather conditions, the fastest you can go is 45 miles per hour. That means if you exceed that speed limit by any amount, you can get a ticket for speeding. That means that the safest speed is that right there. That sign explains travel on this road. Let's, let's think about another one, a road sign. You're driving, and all of a sudden you see this, this yellow you know, diamond sign, and it has this like weird snake thing with an arrow top. Like, what on earth is going on? Well, you know that the road's going to start curving. If you don't take notice, you're going to drive off the road. Because this sign explains what is happening as you're traveling. So sometimes a sign will happen of the Spirit. 
Something that just, what? What is that? Well, it's explaining Jesus. It is something that happens for us to look and go, I get it, that's Jesus. Sometimes we think about a wonder. And I wonder what a wonder is. It's a corny joke. But a wonder is something that simply makes you stop and think. Something that, man, I was in Seattle uh, just not even a month ago, and I was looking over this bluff at the sound, which cracked me up because when they said, you need to go see the sound, and I was like, you can't see sound. That's, that's not possible. But apparently a sound is like a big cove. It's like where the water comes in. I don't know it. I'm from Texas, man. I, we have lakes and sandbars, you know. And so I'm looking at the sound because that's a thing, and the sun setting. And it is the most beautiful sunset I've ever seen in my life. And in that moment, I began to wonder about the awesomeness of God, how he painted this and orchestrated all this to go on. The sunset made me wonder about God. That's what a wonder is. Something that makes you stop and think. And we're, gonna, we're, we're, we're processing this because there's things that happen. There's times where people are in prayer and all of a sudden they had a decaying tooth. And all of a sudden, a gold tooth appears in their mouth. And you're like, well, where's that in the Scripture? How do I handle that? Well, it makes you wonder. It makes you wonder things like, wow, God cares so much about a healing that he even heals a tooth. If you've ever had an abscess tooth, you know just how much pain that is. Or even a cavity that's untreated, it's painful. You don't want to eat. You don't want cold things on it. You can barely breathe out of that side of your mouth. It's horrible. That Jesus does these things. That when you look at a healing, sometimes they don't make sense. Sometimes it's just there because they want to point to something. They want to explain or make you think about it. So a healing, for instance, is a sign and a wonder. What does it explain? It explains that Jesus heals. A prophetic word is a sign that Jesus understands and knows and wants you to understand and know. Tongues and interpretation of tongues. Like I said, that Jesus is the originator of language, that he ties it all together that all things are in him. We have, you know, wisdom and knowledge and all these gifts. All the way down, gift of helps, that Jesus helps. This is why we do the signs. This is why we have the gifts. This is why we have signs and wonders, so that Jesus can be explained, so that he can be understood, and that people think of him and say, what does Jesus do? Well, he heals. He raises the dead. He gives understanding when there's something that's not being able to under, be understood, he interprets it and makes it known. When we don't know the way, he makes it clear. All of these things that we can look at and say, Jesus does this. So it's for the advancement of the gospel. We see this in Acts 2, 42-47. It says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers, and awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as many had need, as any had need, sorry. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. And just a few chapters later, Acts starts saying, and the Lord multiplied to the number those who are being saved. The very first day of Pentecost, it's 3,000 people brought in. So the very first day of this thing happening, there's a megachurch born. 
And then day by day by day by day by day, things are added. That's an old song. Day by day. Day by day. Anyways, day by day, the Lord is adding. And then it says day by day, the Lord is multiplying. It's insane. And it's the Lord who is doing this. It's the Lord who's performing the signs. It's the Lord who's doing the wonders. It's the Lord who's giving the gifts. And it's the Lord who's bringing them in. Once again, this has nothing to do with me. This is never for Troy to get up here and say, look at Pastor Troy. Look how cool I am. Look, I heal people. Look, I interpret dreams and tongues and, and, I, and I give words of knowledge and I do all these things. It's not for that. It's for me to say, look at Jesus. Look how awesome Jesus is. Look how he uses this horrible sinner, this person that was screwed up and drugged out of his mind and drinking like crazy and angry all the time. And look at the joy that's bubbling out of me. Look at the fact that I, I've been sick my whole life. But I don't need medicine anymore. In fact, I'm leading people into healing. Look at the fact that, that I'm no longer like I was. That I don't do those things. And I'm changed. I'm different, man. Look how good Jesus is. And you roll up to me in sickness and say, what, is, what does your God do? He heals. And a demonstration is had. And I believe fully, man, the scriptures say that trees will move and mountains will crumble. And I just have this idea that, like, man, I'll be going to, to, to pray over somebody or somebody anywhere, and they're going to reach this unreached group. And this group's got, like, three weeks left to live. And they got to get there, and it's a five-week climb over this mountain. And they say, no way, man. I know i got to get there. So they say mountains be laid low, and the mountains crumble. And this people group are watching this thing happen, just thinking, what on earth, whoever comes out of this has to be something. And in comes this missionary that says, my Jesus told me to come to you because he loves you so much that he even crumbles mountains out of the way so he can get to you. Guys, I really believe these things will happen for the advancement of the gospel. Not so I can go outside and say, give me 50 bucks if I can move this tree. Who cares about that? Who cares about trees going on? Who cares about healings happening unless Jesus is being explained? Unless people are brought into eternity, salvation. I've, I've said this before in our group, that I'm not impressed by healings. I'm not impressed by signs and wonders and, and all stuff going on. In, in fact, I would rather you crawl into heaven than walk into hell. And I mean that because I've seen people raised out of wheelchairs and, and thousands of people scream and they shout. They say, look, he's healed, and then they send him away. And, and Jesus was never offered to him for salvation. All we're doing as a church, if we're doing this, is just sending healthier people to hell. That's it. All we're doing is showing them a cool display of power and then letting them burn for all eternity. I'd rather I never do that again. I'd rather I never see another healing or display of power happen if just every person I talked to came to Jesus. Plain and simple. That we only have these things because people need to be brought to salvation. We see all the way through the book of Acts that these things, these signs and wonders are happening. Great multitudes are brought to salvation. And when the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is in our lives it's, it's something, one of the things that it's about you is it helps prove to you 
your own salvation. I know there's times in my life where I think, Jesus, is this even real? And then I look and I see this, the signs and wonders that have happened, the healings that have been done, that he has done through me. I see the words of wisdom and knowledge and the prophetic that's been declared through me, that he has done through me. And he says, those things would not have happened if you hadn't been saved. Whoa. Then I am saved. And I, I am built up for this. That this is happening to remind us of our own salvation. It's to cause people to see the power of Jesus and most importantly, to bring people to salvation. We've been seeing it through the series. We've been comparing it to the Jewish marriage, justification, the betrothal, sanctification, the, 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 um, the, the courtship and learning the family, the, the glorification, the consummation. And in this, we're going to look at the book of Esther. I'm not going to read it, but I want you guys to read this. And just read through the whole entire story. It's a beautiful thing. There's a moment where she is selected for the king, and she's going through a process called beautification, where she's anointed with oils and perfumes over and over and over and over again. And tradition teaches that she was soaked with so many oils and perfumes that even when she sweat and exerted herself, she sweat oil and perfumes. That even when it was time for her body to stink and to have its natural BO, it smelled sweet and pleasing. She was so saturated in these oils and perfumes that even her stinkiness smelled good. This is what the Holy Spirit is doing. He's baptizing us over and over and over again, anointing us with himself that we can smell more and more like him. That even when I'm supposed to stink, I smell like Jesus. That when Esther was presented to the king, she was the fairest of them all. That no matter what she did, she just, she just gleamed with beauty. This is what the gospel, this is what the manifestation of the Holy Spirit does in my life, is that it prepares me for my king. That when I get there, I smell like him. That when I get there, I shine like him. I look like him and I act like him. Because Jesus heals, so the Holy Spirit empowers me to heal. That Jesus sets people free, and he empowers me to set people free. He wants us to become like each other. It's such a beautiful process. We were looking at the, the Greek words for love, and we saw that agape is for justification, that, that phileo is for sanctification, that eros is for justification, and this week there's a word named storge. And storge is the love... It's described as the natural affection shared between people. It's like the love of a parent to a child or a child to a parent, back and forth. It's just something that you naturally feel. And what's being done here is it's saying that not only is God giving you his agape, he's giving you his phileo, and you're learning to love in the phileo, and, and you're learning to love in this eros. Phileo and eros are two things that you have to learn, but storge is something natural. So the Holy Spirit explains Jesus and, and, and washes you and comes upon you. And the baptism here, the manifestation, is for us to gain this natural love with Jesus. It's a beautiful moment. And as I said earlier, that in heaven there's no sickness, there's no death. There's none of these things. So there's no need for a healing. There's no need for the dead to be raised. 
There's no need for a word of knowledge and prophecy. There's, there's no need for tongues. There's no need for interpretation. There's no need for all these gifts, these signs and wonders. So why do we have them here then? Because my friends, for all eternity, we'll never see Jesus heal again. Think about this. When we get to heaven, there's not a person to be healed. When we get to heaven, there's not a word to be declared that wasn't known. There's not a sign or wonder that needs to be done because we have them right before us. So the manifestation of the Holy Spirit is here because we will never see it again. So it is for us to know fully in all eternity. How do I know for eternity that Jesus heals? Because he healed. How do I know that Jesus unites? Because he united. How do I know that he raises the dead? Because he raised the dead. There's something sweet being given to us by the Holy Spirit in this manifestation of the gifts, the signs, and the wonders. It's because we will never have it again. It's only for this side of heaven. That's such an amazing, beautiful thing to me that God gives and says, I could just wipe it all away and just bring you up here, but instead I want you to see how good I am. I want eternity to be spent with that full knowledge of who I am and what I do. And you'll never get to see this again. So tonight, if you've, if you've never understood this, this process of the Holy Spirit and you're, you're still weirded out by it, I, just, I ask you to pray that you, you would just ask God to give you a hunger to see the things of Him on this earth that won't be seen in heaven. Just a simple statement right there. I ask you to be open to the Holy Spirit to work in your life how He sees fit. To not withhold any piece of Him from you and to not keep any piece of Him from you on your own accord, but to be open, to be willing. If you're here tonight, you're listening via the podcast and you're, you're thinking, well, this is, this is all good, but I don't even know what it is to be saved. I just wanted to share with you that it's incredibly easy. That the scriptures say in Romans 10, 9 and 10, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that he raised from the dead, that you shall be saved. And then verse 13 says that anyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved and the Lord is Jesus. So if you just simply do that right now, you are saved, you're justified. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer. This prayer is not a magic word. It's not something that, that, that just changes you know, anything other than what your heart wants it to mean. So speak this from how you want it to be said. Say something like this. Father, God, I know that I'm a sinner, that I've disobeyed your law, and that means that I'm bound for hell. But I know that you sent your son Jesus to die on a cross for me, to take my place, and I know that he rose again from the dead. I know that he has defeated sin and death. So I ask right now, Jesus, that you be my Savior, you be my God. I thank you for the salvation that you have just given me. I ask, Holy Spirit, that you fill me, you teach me how to live my sanctification how to live my salvation out day by day. Empower me to walk away from sin and to become more like you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. If you pray that for the first time or the 50th time or whatever, 
I want you to know that there's a supernatural act right now that's happened, that you are justified. You are set free from your sin. But that means that the sanctification process has to begin. So please, if you don't have a church, again, join us here at One Church. Or if you're too far away from Midlothian, Texas to join us, find a church wherever you are and plug in. Because you're going to need other believers to help you through this process. And if you're listening and you're here, you're listening over the podcast, and you're thinking, Pastor Troy, I've never received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I want to offer you a moment for this as well. Just simply, simply pray a prayer like this. God, I know you're a good God, and you don't withhold gifts from those who ask. So I ask for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Right now, Jesus, I ask that you baptize me in your Holy Spirit. You empower me for the signs and wonders. However you want it to look, however you want it to happen, I just ask that it just starts right now in Jesus' name. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. And keep asking until something happens. Begin to pray for people for healing and, and, and watch them become healed. And again, plug into a church to be taught about this, this process and, and to be encouraged in all that you have. Above all, I want to thank you guys for, for studying with us and for being with us through this series and, and, and to be encouraged and enlightened that Jesus is the Savior. That if nothing less, that you walk away from this four weeks, knowing that Jesus loves you and that Jesus is the Savior and that it's all about him. It's all about Jesus forever. Heavenly Father, we love you so much. We dedicate this towards your name, God. We declare that to you is all the glory. Jesus, we pray that you are honored and glorified in this. Holy Spirit, have your way in our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.